0: When you're building SaaS products you want to retain customers and you want to create a platform they never leave you from.
1: Hello and welcome to the Gross Profit Podcast. I am your host James Kennedy, CEO at ProcurementExpress.com where we help hundreds of companies to safely spend billions of dollars each year. Today I am excited to have with me a fellow, I guess, SaaS founder. If you don't know what a SaaS company is, it's a it's an online software company. And I've got uh Peter Connor. So Peter, we're both in Dublin. Uh I'm on the north side of Dublin and you're on the south side, which traditionally are two two, two different uh <laughs> two, two you can different be cultures. For the day. Yeah. So um you're the CEO at at Bullet HQ. What's Bullet?
0: Well, Bullet is an automated accounts product for SMEs. So it is workflow-based accounting. The idea being you never, ever, ever have to learn accounting logic to do your accounts. That's pretty much it. And who is it for? Is it for accountants? Is it for what size of company or what sort of industry? So kind of any company up to about 10. Our ideal company is a service-based company like... uh, design agency or media company or any company that's issuing invoices would be an ideal company for bullet.
1: Okay. And are they, your competitors would be QuickBooks or Zero or Sage?
0: QuickBooks, Zero, Sage. Yeah, they would be our competitors. All right.
1: Okay. And um, you decided the world needed another accountancy <laughs> solution because clearly there's not enough of them. I mean, yeah, that's what they call that. That's a, uh, not a blue ocean or red ocean. What is it, the term
0: from it was an ocean of quicksand. That's how I'd i describe it. <laughs> launching a product now with my ten years of uh, kind of SaaS experience, launching a project product into a saturated market. It's like the first thing I'd say no to if anybody comes and asks me for advice. So yes, we did we we launched a product into uh, it was ten it was ten years ago. So the pro- the products, the our competitor products have got a lot better. But at the, at the time and actually kind of the birth of bullet was my, my co-founder is a developer and he was contracting for a company and the accountant forgot to file his end of year return. So then he, he got automatically rolled into audit. So he started getting audited and he was, he was pretty annoyed. His accounts were pretty simple. He was just sending an invoice every week into the recruitment company. And he thought, well, look, I'm a developer like yourself, James, so I'm good at math, so I'm sure I can work it out. And then it occurred to him that the accounting software required him to have accounting logic, to understand the accounting logic. And so he started building that. And we got put in touch, and I was building automated company formation product. And uh, to kind of automate stuff with no logic, you have to build workflows. So you're always asking people a question. And that question then builds all the accounts in the back end. And then the two of us met and had a couple of coffees. And he liked the UI and the way I was thinking about um, building the UX for this product. At that kind of time, UX and UI didn't really exist as an industry. And um, then we started working together and started building this product to simplify accounts, which I think is the kind of holy grail, isn't it? Or automate accounts, you know. That's our, our ideal is to build an account product that nobody really ever sees. Interesting. I mean, that's
1: uh, controversial. If you're an accountant, you're trying to put all the accountants out of out of business. So
0: yeah, they, uh, we we tried to partner with accountants, and um, we automated too much. We automated all the mid-year tax returns, and accountants didn't uh, they didn't like that.
1: Interesting, because, I mean, we're in a somewhat similar spot in that we're sort of at what we call or what some of our competitors describe as a pre-accounting solution. You know, so lots of our users are not accountancy trained. Of course, we have people who work the, on the back end who are, but there's that trying to, in a way, create a layer between accountancy world and the way the rest of the world works and, and understands things. And then and am trying to make it human like, if you like. Yeah. But today we're going to talk about neobanks, which is a term actually I hadn't really been aware of, but when we chatted last time, I, you brought it up and I was thought that's pretty interesting. So what is a neobank for me, actually, because I'm not entirely sure. So maybe you can give me a description.
0: I would describe it as a, as a kind of a, a, a new style of bank that have been built and a bank where product is tech product, as in the kind of the, the mobile or the web product. Is centre to its birth and creation, and I think that's probably the biggest differentiator you could make between neo banks and traditional banks.
1: So, I mean, well, for me, a bank starts with a vault and someone has a bunch of cash. So, how does software start off with? Like, how do they how do they get started with it? You need some cash to lend you know you need to get the money going i suppose so how are these banks coming into existence if they're focused on software and they have no money
0: so how they usually start is on transfer funds so for you to call yourself a bank you you need a central bank license so most of these banks aren't banks so for example revolut who we partnered with because we totally see a convergence between accounts and your bank account because ultimately your accounts are your bank transactions just with more context around them Mhm. What's the VAT rate? What's the tax rate? You know, who is this for? What was it for? So Revolut would be a good example of that where it is just applying now for its banking license, but it's pretty much providing banking services around the transfer of money and retention of money, but they I think they classify themselves as e-wallets. Right. So I think I think banks can lend money. I think that's the big differentiator. I'm not hundred percent sure on it, but I think that's really it.
1: Yeah, well, that's why I came across Prevolute was I was traveling a lot and it was a cheaper way to get money or draw mon- an easier way to draw money yeah. when you were abroad and send it and it handled cur- currency. I think the also with the currency transaction rate was cheaper because yeah, it's still pretty expensive to send money from a traditional bank actually somewhere. And there's a lunch, I think there's currency fair. Um, a bunch of them, which I guess they're all going the same direction.
0: Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Like we have a lot of staff in the Ukraine and at the moment we can't pay them because Payoneer, like I assume this is not going to affect the Brexit, Payoneer shut down our account and all our account is used for is just to make payments every month. So it's a pretty static, well-managed account and um, even our own bank feeds got shut down and we get them from Plaid, which is a big U.S. conglomerate or a big U.S. billion-dollar business. So yeah, it starts it starts with that anyway. Just bank transfers. They never use the word bank, but the consumer attaches the word bank to them. Right. And then they encroach. And and actually, interestingly, it's the kind of area of business most traditional banks hate because they don't make money from current accounts and they're expensive to run. And I think as a result, they kind of ne- neglected it. You know, and um. Then Neo Banks product focused companies, just like Bullet, we would always call ourselves a product company that does accounting software. We're not an accounting software company that does accounts. And um, yeah, they just like, they've blown out like they've blown out the Irish market so much that all the Irish traditional banks have now conglomerated together to try and take them on. So, I signed up with uh, Bullet earlier today, actually, just have a poke around uh, and do a bit of spying. Yeah.
1: And uh, so, I, one of the first things you do when you come in is it connected to an account. So, can you see a stage where you create your bullet count and the account is just there? Is that the idea?
0: Totally. So, we are only one of two companies um, that have gone on this new partnership program at Revolut. And the whole idea, like ultimately, they should be totally converged together. And you can see that if you look at the larger accounts companies like Zero, Wave in the US, they've all bought neobank startups, Stripe, which we talked about earlier, have launched this kind of bank infrastructure. And then there's a bank infrastructure product called Starling, which launched in the UK, and it provides access to clearing houses. And there's quite a bit goes on behind banks, you know. And just a note, I'd say to people, they're always anxious to beat down the fees of banks. But when banks can't make money to make money to pay for the infrastructure and the cost of running it, they end up having to go into more murky areas, high risk areas to get their money. So in actual fact, paying a fee for your current account, I don't think is a bad thing.
1: Yeah, well, of course, banks have a lot of, um, I mean, they carry a lot, right? They have a lot of REIT, they have a lot of real estate. Yeah. A lot of staff it must be pretty scary for them to more or less get about 10 developers in a room and, uh, you know, an online infrastructure. And that's it. Like I notice if I go into any of the retail banks in Ireland here, it's a very different experience than even 10 years ago. It was it's, you know, I won't mention which bank, but basically you get very little in a bank anymore. It's just you're put in front of a computer and that, and that's it. Uh, they must be leveraged with They must be lumbered with all this stuff. I saw this week that a couple of the banks I think are trying to come together to create a competitor to Revolution. Yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, so, like when I when I when I was working in Rabobank, when we the treasury department was one of the departments I managed the IT for. That was my background, and we had maybe eight treasurers. I think it was eight, eight or nine dealers, and there were over ninety applications managing all of those transactions, you know, either spinning out reports for compliance or managing the transaction itself. So th- there's a lot goes on in it, you know, and, and you, don't, you don't want unskilled people doing those jobs. Right. Okay. So they're not cheap. Yeah, not cheap. So, it, I mean, it's Revolut more or less,
1: it's almost cheaper for them to do it from ground up without, without the legacy. Is that where their
0: advantage is? Oh I'd I'd say so like like it with, with any company like when we launched um bullet we we launched bullet and we had spent 1400 euros and that included company formation fee okay right. just you know yourself just two guys a computer two two laptops and my laptop was an old Dell uh cellotaped together and um we just needed time that was it you know and um you're much more agile as a business like that, you know, and you're, you know, yourself, James, when you're found in a business, you're just absorbed by that. So you're working unrealistic hours and, and those kind of things. So I think the companies, the, the traditional banks have a problem with legacy staff, uh, legacy politics and legacy technology. And the technology is probably and that t- technology feeds into lots of other products. You know, so it's not like it's just they can kill off their current account technology. It feeds into something else that feeds into something else. So and probably uh like I loved my time in Rabo and I worked on Rabo Direct, which is the launch of the kind of a, a, a Neo savings bank, which was kind of like an ING direct. And there was just a small team of us did that. I think there was on the project team, maybe 15. That was it to launch a bank, you know. I left Rabo thinking, well, if I launched a bank of 15 people, I can launch anything. And then I realized <laughs> when, you, when you don't have 40 billion sitting behind you, you don't uh, get those breaks.
1: So your your price point is in the order of, uh, is it $15 uh, Euros a month to get started?
0: Starts at 15 and then goes up to about 27. Uh, that's kind of the all-inclusive. And then we have a payroll product. Some people use payroll separately to the accounts. So they're kind of Traditionally separate products, yeah. but we have them very heavily integrated. You know, so if you mark an expense paid in your accounts product as by yourself, James, then it would be automatically added to your payroll as an expense. And
1: uh, that's a very—I mean, that's a—if you divide your your income in Dublin, expensive city, yeah, by uh, thirty euros a month, you get—you need a lot of customers before you can even pay yourself. So how did you get over the hump? of the first
0: few years. I'll give you an even bigger hump. When we, when we launched Bullet, we knew the price of accounts was dropping. So zero starting product at the time was about $70 a month. And it's down to $25 a month now, I think. But it's like, a, it's very limited product. And um, a product called Wave had launched at the time who've now shut down their international operations. So we're, we're actually getting about 1,200 Wave customers a month now. Uh, So here was an interesting thing on price points for accounts. So people don't value accounts, okay? And so when they have no value for it, they literally have no financial value for it. And Wave had launched and they were charging $14.99 for their product and it failed and they couldn't get any traction. So the two founders just went, you know, we'll just give it away for free because we've already invested our money in it and we'll put ads on it. And that hit the market just at the right time when content marketing was getting very popular. right? So they kind of became this kind of um, regurgitated list of top 10 accounting products for free. And everybody was like, you know, being a blogger and wanted their own accounts and stuff. So they went at $14 a month, which is nothing, like nothing. Uh, Couldn't sign up any customers, went to free and signed up 1400 customers a day. Wow. Wow, so $14. So we tried to replicate that with the Irish consumer, who, as you know, James, gives out about the price of everything, because we're, we're, we're relatively new to consumerism, kind of in its traditional sense in Ireland, kind of probably from the 80s onwards, we had kind of normal consumerism. So we followed that with the free plan. So we were we were actually a full freemium product. So in other words... For people who who uh, don't work in SaaS, that's pretty much all the product is for free. And then you might pay for a tiny upgrade. And we launched for free and we still couldn't get 1,400 signups from our Irish customers. And then we did that for about 15 years. And then we did a secret shopper to a number of accountants. Sorry, five years, 10 years? Yeah, five years, five yeah. years. Yeah, by, by five, six years. And uh, then we did a secret shopper survey with the accountants who would be in our demographic and gave them, you know, a, a perfect customer bullet and a customer that totally wouldn't fit any of the other products. And they all used uh, the fact the product was free as a way to undermine it. Said, oh, I wouldn't trust it. It's free. It's not going to be around. So that's why we turned off our free plan and went back to a paid plan. The Irish customer wanted a free plan. We gave them a free plan. They didn't want a free plan. Then we gave them a paid plan. So
1: you're six years deep. And
0: did you have side hustles? Did you do this at the weekend? Yeah, it was pretty tight. John uh, John was with the company for about five years and didn't draw a salary once. Uh, so he did it as a, a side hustle. He worked on savings himself and his partner are developers. So his partner, Louise, supported him. And then she came and worked for the company and he went back contracting. And um they're both smart, much, much smarter than me. And then I just took a vow of poverty, uh, moved back in my mother and lived. I think I paid myself for six, six, seven years, 600, 600 euros, so about $700 a month. Wow. Which is less than social welfare in Ireland, you know, a good bit less. Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh,
1: and that you're putting everyone else. Oh, we're doing this interview largely because, you know, um, you know, lots of people are interested in starting a business. But when you say that, it's it' it's just it's terrifying to people like you think you know that's such a sacrifice you know to do it over a long time yeah, and has it been worth it where are like where are you in terms of customers now and
0: so we have about uh we've we've just under a thousand paying customers now in Ireland, so now it's making it's making money now, and then our international base is was well, growing about twelve hundred a month now now that's still a freemium product, uh, but we're getting a lot of the wave customers over. But I mean, we're in with one other company as a partnership with Revolute. That's going very well. And so er- everything is going the right direction. But you know, if I had kids and if I was older, then you'd have to make different decisions, you know. So Well, that's interesting because I have a slightly different view on that, which is that my
1: business and my kid is the same age. Um uh, really? yeah, more or less. Yeah. And um it's fair to say that now, before this, I was in, uh, you know, marginally in business, you know, with uh, and it's a very, very small business getting by, let's call it. Yeah. SaaS businesses as well. I had a voiceover agency and I sold SMS services and different things. Oh, very good. But really, actually, for me, once I had the kid. I was like, "Oh, stop! Time to stop messing around," you know. Yeah. And that provided for me the uh, motivation to, or the focus to get going, you know, because suddenly it wasn't just you you're messing around; it's uh, you know, another little person in the world. So totally. So you can you can play that mind game, either way. I think you know.
0: Totally agree with you. Yeah, totally agree with you. I think um, I think I just had time though because I was. Was dating someone, and then I was kind of single a bit. But like during that time, I got married and um, did all. I remember, <laughs> I remember being out with my wife on our first. We we'd met at a friend's wedding, for one of my best mates' wedding, and um, uh, I asked her out on a date, and I was I was <laughs> I was like thirty nine, living at home, with my mother, you know, and got a cat. And uh, when I when I picked her up, I had, I had my sister would like always kind of, I'm pretty, ha- I'm very handy. You know, my dad was very handy. So she'd always kind of land these projects, like was coming up to my friend's wedding. She was like, you know, if you like uh, fit out the attic, she had a an attic I had converted with my dad and she wanted it finished out. And she said, oh, you know, if you do that, I'll pay you what the builder said he wanted. So I said, grand. So she'd always land these things. And then I was um, driving with my wife on the first date and she was Same age as myself. And I thought, you know, I have to be upfront with her because time is a little different for women, you know? Sure. And I I said to her, so just to let you know, I'm living at home with my mother. I have my business, you know, and I I really believe in it. I'm living at home with my mother. I'm paying myself by 30 quid a week and I'm driving my sister's car. We're in, and my sister had bought me my socks, my jocks, (laughs) and the shirt I was wearing, and the pants I was wearing. And then I think my mother bought me my shoes. So that uh, <laughs> that is not a like uh you know, married at first sight pitch. You know, that's not a pitch that's gonna win. So I had to I had to turn on the charm pretty hard after that. But um
1: oh, whatever you did seems to have worked, but that's funny, yeah.
0: Yeah. Well a good a good a good test to see was she a good woman, you know. And uh, she was indeed
1: yeah yeah I want uh, yeah okay i want to uh, I want to ask how many people went by the wayside that way, but she passed the test. <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah that's funny yeah i also uh you know' back in the day remember remember whether I went on a date or not it was largely dependent whether there was any money left in the yeah there you, you, know, yeah. you, you can could, you could afford to go out. yeah okay, so yeah so that that comes back to uh you know starting a business, it's something you know especially for people who are kind of you know, sole contractors, people who are working, starting out for the first time, who are interested in getting going. There's a minefield there when it comes to keeping their business straight financially and so on. And, um, uh, you know, we have tax, you have, you know, just being able to know that you're, you've are got enough money because the money you've got in your account isn't necessarily yours. Yeah. Uh, it's very complicated. Now, yeah, are these neo banks going to it, make it easier to start a business in the future?
0: I think so. I think... Well I mean starting a business is pretty easy you know getting the company formed and that run, running a business can get complex and I think part of that is down to the system the tax system and and compliance and then part of that is down to how people run their business but in accounts traditionally and with banks there would have been a real push towards the customer being the one that had to gain the knowledge or hard the knowledge in, and I think when product businesses, just like your own business, when you were talking about it there at the beginning of the interview, that push of intellect is moving from the consultant to the product. Okay, but there are limitations there with with access to data. So all those data points need to feed in together, and I think where neo banks are going to make a punch on that is they are. Very product focused. So, I know from talking to Revolut, the number one issue people have is with their accounts product. Okay. And there was an accounts company they were pushing people towards, and, and small businesses were just finding it too clunky to use. Mm. And in Bullet, we were very focused on automating that. And if we even just look at accounts, so traditionally you would fill out your accounts product. And then you'd import your bank data and merge the two together. Okay. In what they call reconciliation. In bullet, the way we try and push it is towards a type of accounting called cash accounting, where basically we just want you to go out and do business. And then every month you suck in your bank data or every week, and then you just follow the workflows. And then we sort everything out for you. We generate the bills. And our, our next phase now is that we'll start doing that automatically for you. Okay. So you'll you'll do it once. So let's say you'll add your phone bill once. And then every time that bill comes in, we'll automatically categorize it, create the bill, add it to your VAT return, generate your VAT return. So I, I think the accounts, like we were saying, is just taking bank data and adding some context to it. And neobanks, when you're building SaaS products, you want to retain customers and you want to create a platform they never leave you from. And all the all the the two neo banks I've talked to are looking to create a kind of one for all product for small businesses, and that's the way it should be, you know.
1: Yeah. So when you see, I can think of, uh, I can almost hear the sort of professional accountants who be listening to this saying, "Oh, cash accounting, you know, that's great, but that that's for you know for more sophisticated. Uh, you need an accrual system, or otherwise you're not, you know." You're not managing efficiently. You're not really looking at the real world. Yeah. So is that is that because if you're under that 10 employee bracket, say under, what's the threshold in terms of size of business? Do you think this would be the way you should do it?
0: It's a little of both. It depends on the business. So uh, if you were setting up like a big manufacturing plant and were buying big CNC machines that were like a 200 grand each and 400 grand each, that's, that's a total different business to... Someone setting up a SaaS company or setting up a media company or a service business. And and most small businesses are service businesses. You know, they're just, they're connecting two people or connecting two services together. So the the accountant will never go away because the, uh, like a a qualified, when I'm talking about accountant now, I'm talking like by chartered accountant or qualified accountant, because what they're doing is they're taking tax laws and they're interpreting those tax laws onto your business. Sure. Okay, so so they'll never go away. That's like lawyers will never go away. But, you know, automating the bookkeeping is what's going to get eaten. And my own accountant, who I use, so we use an accountant who does our year-end stuff for us. And uh, he just wrote an article for an accounts magazine about how accountants who are dependent on bookkeeping services need to start to diversify because that business isn't going to be around in five years. And we, we've been saying that for about 10 years. That's why we never partnered with accounts companies, because we knew the software was just going to get smarter. It works 24-7. It doesn't sleep. And uh, he had written that article for an accounts magazine in Ireland, and the editor wouldn't let him publish it. <laughs> <laughs> right. Too afraid of the pushback. Too afraid of the pushback. Yeah. And which is kind of a terrible thing in some respects, because, you know, if you were in your 50s or late 40s, you know, you want to be making that change now, not when you're, you know, in, in your 60s or coming to 60. For sure. But banks are going to just, neo banks are just going to chew that up, you know, big banks in the US, you know, where there's that competition, but like the the convergence of Irish banks to take on Revolut is It's kind of a bit hysterical, to be honest with you. They'll they'll never do it. They don't they don't I've been in them. They don't they don't have the culture for it and
1: that's referencing, yeah. Four Irish banks are coming together to to build their own neobank, effectively or software platform. Yeah. I saw someone on Twitter say you say talking about it saying, Well, what's the what's slower than a bank? Four banks,
0: you know. (laughs) (laughs) There
1: you go, you know. I used to
0: always say banks banks are places dreamers go to die. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, OK, this is interesting. So because when I was in Chile, you know, uh, ten, about 10 years ago, when I went there, I set up a business, uh, registered with the government, and they gave me an invoicing system so that I could just bill people. And the invoicing system would apply the right tax, sales tax, and actually collect the tax as it was paid into my bank account. Yeah. And, it, and I thought that was so beautiful because it can, you can get into so much trouble you know, trying to manage this tax for yourself, even if you're reasonably sophisticated, it's hard to hang on to that tax money. You know, make sure you have enough for the end of the year, or for the quarter, or whatever the return is. It's still pretty complicated. Like, even you know, you might be a great artist or hairdresser or anything, but then you know, to have the ability to understand that and keep that straight is unreasonable, I think. You know, um, for for most people, and it's a terrible shame because I think a lot of businesses fail because of that reason. Not necessarily; they didn't have a marketer, they weren't good at what they were doing. It's just that they got caught out on their tax, and they just had to go back to a job to sort of try and get it sorted out, and that, and that was the end of it, you know. Which is a silly reason to, for a business to fail.
0: Yeah, totally. I am. Um, if, if people are listening to this from the US, our, our, our sales tax rate in Ireland is thirteen percent, and then twenty three percent, so thirteen thirteen and a half percent, I think it is. I should know that off by heart <laughs> for services. So, like your hairdressers and stuff, and then twenty three percent for product. So, if you're selling services or product, you're nearly a quarter of all your earnings is taxed. So, you're you're in essence working as a tax collector for the government. Mm-hmm. But the problem with it is, like like you're saying, James, small businesses are always struggling with cash flow always struggling with cash flow and you having to retain a large sum of money is tempting and it's tricky. And you're also retaining employer, PRSI and employee, uh, PAYE as well. Mm -hmm. So your tax bill per employee, like if you're, I don't know, have like 30 grand a year salary and you have three employees on that, you're probably paying, you know, Four, three grand a month, you know, so you're holding on to that, and then a quarter of all your revenue. So it, it is, you're dead right, as tax burden. I, I know in Canada, they, uh, as far as I know, their payroll system is like a government payroll system, and you pay the person through the, the government system. And in Ireland, we've changed our payroll system. You used to basically submit a return called a P30 once every three months, so once every quarter. Then at the end of the year, you'd, you'd produce this P35L, which is like a, a long-form tax return. And you'd manually create your employees, whereas now all employees are created on the central system, the kind of government's revenue system. And then you pull down a file, and that generates the employee in your payroll software. So we, we did that migration about two years ago now. And then every time you pay someone, you have to submit that payment to the government, now, you still have to hold on to the money, but then about two weeks later, they take the money out of your account. Right. So I, th- I think they'll get like that with fat.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it makes so much sense in a way because I, I have this theory that, you know, there's a bit of complexity. It helps the government because it means that you, you, you will need a bookkeeper, an accountant. And therefore, and that, and they, the accountants actually carry responsibility to make sure that, they, you know, that the accounts are correct. Yeah. So they, in effect, are enforcing compliance for the government. Yeah. So it's a way for the government to get whatever there are 5,000, 10,000 accountants to be work on their behalf and get the, and get the taxpayer to pay for it. But it's really a kind of a, you know, all accountants that I know would love to be doing sort of higher value stuff, or so they say, you know, they all say, yeah. well, we'd love to be helping you with your planning and your forecasting and your budgeting and so on like that. But the number of people who actually get to that is vanishingly small. I work pretty closely with my bookkeeper and my accountants, and there's a huge amount of work to keep it just straight, you know, um, seems, and we have a totally automated business. So I'm I don't know what it's like when you're dealing with cash.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, you just don't bring it into your account system when you're dealing with cash. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: It's like a, a, a different entity. Yeah.
1: Well, a lot of business, well, that might be artificially making some businesses survive where they maybe they shouldn't. Or they last for four, they last for, you know, two years until they get their real first tax bill. And then suddenly they're gone and they just cycle through
0: it like that, you know? Yeah, totally. I mean, the, I mean, ultimately, as a business, you're kind of you're working as a de- as a tax collector, and we we touched a little bit on this before the calls. The tax system can get complex. Like payroll systems are complex in some respects because of all the different cutoff rates and tax systems. But payroll systems themselves, like our payroll system, only has four fields in it. You know, so it's just your expenses, any pension contributions, and then what you want to pay the person. That's it, and then we calculate everything else. But I've seen really complex payroll systems, and they're usually a product of crazy sales strategies where you're creating all these, you know, bonuses and bumps and, and all of that. And I think the tax system can get a little bit like that with uh, annual budgets where, you know, shifts in demographic of electorates changing, you have more older people and they want better rates on their pensions. So then the government, you know, adds 2% there and takes 5% from here and all of that kind of stuff, you know. And I think that's when it starts getting complex. But I mean, to fix that, you need to fix our electorate. And sure, that's an ongoing work.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's a whole other thing. So um, listen, that was a good chat. I appreciate it, Peter. Where can people find you or reach out
0: to you? Uh, well, you can, if you're an Irish listener, you can go direct to bullethq.ie. And if not, you can go to bullethq.com and just sign up. And And if you have any questions, we have live chat and you can ask ourselves any questions you have about your your accounts or getting set up. Yeah, I can
1: vouch for, I signed up for it earlier and it was very straightforward process. And there's a little chat person
0: that pops up there. I think you're using Intercom for that, are you? We are not now because Intercom or, is incredibly expensive. We're using uh, User Engage. User Engage. It's so okay. a great company and about an eighth the price.
1: Yeah, okay. Interesting. Yeah. Well, like we, we yeah, we had Intercom and yeah. Fair play to those guys. Uh, oh, the only yeah, Irish yeah, company. Yeah. But, know, uh, yeah. Uh, it was very expensive. Yeah, that's very expensive, yeah. So that's it for another episode of the Gross Profit Podcast. Peter, thank you very much for joining me. I want to say a special thanks to Eamon O'Sullivan, who has out there, has been giving me a hard time about the number of podcasts we're putting out and therefore has been putting great guests my way. And Peter was a great example of that. So until the next time, thanks Eamon, and see you next time. So that wraps it up for another episode of the Gross Profit Podcast. If you liked what you heard, please consider subscribing and leaving us a review on iTunes or wherever it is you get your podcasts.